Are you dealing with a crisis and you're not sure how you're going to handle it? Or maybe not even sure whether you can handle it? Or has anything like that ever happened to you? Well, the history of business and of achievement and leadership and success in general, it's filled with stories, examples of people that face those kind of situations. And, you know, in retrospect, we think, well, of course they were going to make it through. They were who they were, whoever they were. But at the moment, for so many people like that, it wasn't so clear at the time that they faced that great crisis. And really, you might say that it was getting through that crisis that made them who they were, that, that made them the sort of person that we think was inevitably going to get through it. Because they did. Well, if you haven't dealt with anything like that in your life... I hope you get the chance to. And today I've got a story for you about that happening for somebody. This, by the way, is the Cost of Glory, where I bring to you insights from some of history's greatest initiators of action and history's greatest problem solvers in crises. Insights that I hope that you can use in your work. Okay, then. So, Steve Jobs, founder of probably the most valuable company in the world right now. He once said, life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact, and that is that everything around you that you call life was made up by people who were no smarter than you. And you could think of it in terms of people who took the initiative and decided to build something. You could say a similar thing about people picking up the torch that they found lying in the street and just leading when nobody else seemed willing or interested. So here's the moment where it clicked for Xenophon that he could do this. Xenophon is one of the great writers of antiquity, if you haven't heard of him. He's a friend of Socrates, the famous Athenian philosopher. He's also a friend of King Agesilaus of Sparta. And I'm working on the biography of Agesilaus right now, so I'm having a chance to go back and revisit a lot of Agesilaus's or uh, Xenophon's writings uh, that are relevant to the story. So Xenophon got himself into some trouble. He got invited to go and participate in a uh, military expedition to help out the Persian prince named Cyrus do whatever military expedition he was planning on doing. And, you know, Cyrus didn't tell everybody at the time what he was planning, but he raised a big army. Well, he, he told people something, but it was not what ended up happening. So he, he raises this big army, and it includes 10,000 Greek mercenaries. This was not uncommon for the Persian king to hire Greek mercenaries. He actually, the King Xerxes brought a lot of Greek soldiers on his invasion of Greece interestingly, but that's a story for another day. So Xenophon gets wrapped into one of these mercenary campaigns of the Persian prince Cyrus. And uh, on the way to their destination, it becomes clear that they are not campaigning against the Pisidians, some you know tribe in Asia Minor that Cyrus told them they were all going to fight against. They were actually going to fight against Cyrus's brother, the king of Persia, the new king of Persia, 
Cyrus's older brother had taken the throne. Artaxerxes was his name, and Cyrus thought that he was the better candidate for the king, and so he thought he'd make a bid for it. And he brought along a great army, including 10,000 Greek mercenaries. Greeks were widely considered to be the best soldiers in the region at that time. So what happened, unfortunately, for Xenophon and for the 10,000 Greeks was they march all the way through Asia Minor, northern Iraq, and they get to Babylonia and middle Mesopotamia, and they fight this great battle. And in a single day, they win the battle and lose the war because they're victorious for the most part on the battlefields. But, but in this moment in the battle, Cyrus, the prince they're fighting for, he sees his brother on the battlefield as you know, the brother's running away, the king of Persia's fleeing. And Cyrus tries to make a, a, an assault on the king and end it all right there. And he ends up dying himself with his bodyguard. So with Cyrus dead, the whole purpose of them fighting this war is moot and null. The armies call a truce. The Greeks lay down their weapons and uh, they come to an agreement. And the agreement is that the Persian king will allow the Greeks to go back home and he'll even provide them an escort in the form of a general of his with an army, Tissaphernes. And so they're, they start to march back toward Greece to take the long road, uh, leave the Persian king, and there's a lot of suspicion on the side of the Greeks because they're being accompanied by this huge Persian army. I mean, they say that they're not going to do them any harm, but it's a little bit nerve-wracking to have a giant Persian army uh, following you, watching your every move. And sure enough, their suspicions are soon confirmed because Tissaphernes, the satrap who's the general accompanying them, he, as a show of goodwill, he invites all of the Greek commanders, their general, the Spartan guy, and all the top brass of the mercenary force to a nice, friendly dinner And then he surprises them and arrests them and hauls them off before the king of Persia, where they are shortly thereafter beheaded. So the Persians did not have noble intentions toward the Greeks. And it's not really clear what they have in mind, but the Greeks are now surrounded. These 10,000 soldiers, these mercenaries are now surrounded by this large Persian army, deep, deep, deep in hostile territory. And they're trying to figure out what to do. They've just got the news that that this murder has just happened. And so that's where the story picks up. Okay. So here's what Xenophon writes. And he and and but this, by the way, is taken from Xenophon's account of the whole fiasco, which is called the Anabasis. It's a great classic of leadership, uh, which I recommend to you. So here's what Xenophon says, book three. And Xenophon uh, writes about himself here in the third person. Quote, and now in this season of perplexity, he too, that is Xenophon, with the rest, was in great distress, and he could not sleep. But after a while, getting a bit of sleep, he had a dream. It seemed to him in a vision that there was a storm of thunder and lightning, and a bolt fell on his father's house, and thereupon the house was all in a blaze. He sprung up in terror, and pondering the matter, he decided that 
in part, the dream was good, in that he had seen a great light from Zeus, whilst in the midst of toil and danger. But partly, he feared it, for evidently it had come from Zeus, the king. And the fire kindled all around. What could that mean but that he was hemmed in by various perplexities, and so could not escape from the country of the king? The full meaning, however, is to be discovered from what happened after that dream. So just pause there. So he's, you know, he wakes up in the middle of the night from this dream. Maybe it's a good dream. Maybe it's a bad dream. It's, it's sort of frightening because there's a king in there. Zeus is the king. And well, you know, he's in the territory. Xenophon is in the territory of the king and he's beset all around by enemies. Xenophon, by the way, probably about 30 years old at this point. So he's not, not exactly a you know, seasoned uh, commander or soldier or anything like that, but he's, he's 30. Okay. Continuing on. And he, remember he says the full meaning of this dream is not to be known except from what happened after the stream. So continuing on quote, here is what took place. As soon as he was fully awake, the first clear thought which came into his head was, why am I lying here? The night advances. As soon as the day comes, it is likely that the enemy will be upon us. If we are to fall into the hands of the king, what is left to us but to face the most horrible of sights and to suffer the most fearful pains and then to die insulted, an ignominious death, just like those other commanders. To defend ourselves and to ward off fate, not a hand stirs. So he's saying, nobody's doing anything. No one is preparing, none cares, but here we lie as though it were time to rest and take our ease. I too, what am I waiting for? A general to undertake the work? And from what city? Am I waiting till I am older myself and of a riper age? Older I shall never be if today I betray myself to my enemies." Thereupon he got up and he called together first Proxenus's officers. Proxenus is uh, the friend of his who actually invited him on this whole endeavor. Okay, so he invites Proxenus's subordinates. Uh, Proxenus, by the way, was one of the guys beheaded recently. So, okay. And when they met, these officers of Proxenus, he said, Xenophon speaking now, Sleep, sirs, I cannot, nor can you, I fancy, nor lie here any longer, when I see the straits that we are in. Our enemy, we may be sure, did not open war upon us until he felt he had everything amply ready. And yet none of us shows a corresponding anxiety to enter the lists of battle in the bravest style. And, you know, he goes on, I'll summarize a little bit here. He says, you know, we, we, we must not let ourselves get into the hands of the king. Did you see what the king did to his brother? So Cyrus... Uh, was you know killed in the battle, and then the king cut off his head, and he cut off his hands, and he well nailed them to a cross. Okay, so very kind of gruesome end for the king's brother Cyrus. He's very mad. So then he goes on, and I'm summarizing a little bit more here. He says, you know, when when we call that truce with the king, we had a little time to uh, look around and. Uh, you know, we were very sad because we were about to walk out of this whole thing. But the, the, the terms of the truce they agreed to, uh, by the way, they basically agreed they would do no harm to the king's lands or his possessions, to the, you know, the, 
the subject peoples of Persia that they would have to pass by along the way on their way home. And in return, the king of Persia and the Persians would would do them no harm. And so he said, well, now, you know, I was very sad because we were going to walk away from this, you know, harrowing experience with basically nothing to show for it. Cyrus promised them great rewards. Now they're not going to get anything. They'll be lucky to get out with their lives. But then he does something interesting here. He says, quote, Now, however, that they have abruptly ended the truce, there is also an end to their own insolence and our suspicion, and all these good things of theirs are now set as prizes for the combatants. So all of the wealth of Persia, you know, now... It's kind of on the table again. To whichever of us shall prove the better men, will they fall as prizes? And the gods themselves are the judges of the strife. The gods who surely will be on our side, seeing that it is our enemies who have taken their names falsely. The Persians are the ones, he's saying, that the that broke the oath. They, they, they swore a truth, truce in the name of you know, the gods. Whilst we, with much to tempt us, Nonetheless, because of our oaths and the gods who were our witnesses, we sternly restrained ourselves. So that it seems to me we have a right to enter upon this contest with much more heart than our foes. And further, we are possessed of bodies more capable than theirs of bearing cold and heat and labor. Souls, too, we have, by the help of heaven, better and braver. Nay, the men themselves are more vulnerable the Persians, that is, they're more mortal than ourselves if the gods grant us victory like before. You know, he says, look, look at what happened. I mean, actually, the Greeks won a stunning victory on their section of the battlefield. They, they only incurred one casualty in that great tragic battle. So he's tempting these men. He's, he's gathered there in the middle of the night to, uh, to think about the things that they can get, not just the pain that they might face the the danger they're in, but if they stand up and do something, there are actually some really interesting rewards on the table. You know, they could they could plunder their way through the rest of their way home and uh, and end up richer men after it all. Going on, howbeit, for I doubt not elsewhere similar reflections are being made. Whatsoever betide, whatever happens, let us not in heaven's name wait for others to come and challenge us to noble deeds. Let us rather take the lead in stimulating the rest to valor. Show yourselves to be the bravest of officers and among generals the worthiest to command. For myself, if you choose to start forwards on this quest, I will follow. Or if you bid me to lead you, I will make no excuse for my age. I reckon in fact that I am of the ideal age to keep evil from falling on my own head. And... With that, his speech ends. And so he's basically saying, look, we were going to get escorted by the Persian army, but now it looks like they're a hostile army. Some of you are thinking about surrendering to the king, putting yourselves at his mercy. But look what happens when people do that. No, it's time to fight our way out and put fortune to the test. That's what he's saying. And when he's done with his speech, well, what do you know? Most of the officers there, they ask him to lead them. And they're thrilled that someone took the initiative. And that was the moment when Xenophon became the commander of some 10,000 Greek soldiers. And he eventually led them across to Asia Minor 
um, through Asia Minor to the Black Sea and back home to Greece. And if you want to know the rest of the story, you can read Xenophon's Anabasis. So one thing that we see from great leaders time and time again is that they're willing to face down a very dismal situation and admit all the facts. And there's often a voice in their head that's telling them it's all over. The company's going to go bankrupt. The deal's going to collapse. The army's going to be lost. But then you shake yourself, you take a deep breath, and you find that other voice in your head. And who knows where it comes from? But that other voice says, you can do this. And whichever voice you listen to, that one is the one that's more likely to turn out to be right. I wish you the best of luck out there. Thanks for listening. Stay strong. Stay ancient. This is Alex Petkus. Until next time.